Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, and we are presented by betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. If you're looking for a place to make some online wagers, Head over to betonline.ag, use the promo code PODCAST1, get a 50% sign-up bonus today. Pretty, pretty awesome. He is Evan Silva. He is unbelievably prolific over at rotoworld.com. Not only is his free agent list a must-bookmark, but his team needs list is a must-bookmark. It's amazing, Evan. People should check you out as well on Twitter, of course, at Evan Silva. I am Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. You can hit me up. Twitter and Instagram are both at Ross Tucker NFL. If you're a Facebook person, it's facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. We got a lot of positive feedback, by the way, from last week's show in which Evan and I basically just kind of broke down the Super Bowl and lessons we took from the Super Bowl and what they might mean moving forward. That was highly enjoyable. I, I like that, Evan. I'm glad we got some positive feedback on it. Today, we kind of want to do, before we start moving on to next year, we kind of want to do a season in review in a sense that we want everyone to kind of sit back and say, okay, these are the lessons that we learned from a fantasy football perspective in 2018. I am beyond fired up, by the way, Evan, to have Warren Sharp, our guy, on the show. I encourage everybody to follow him. I got to get him on the Even Money podcast soon again as well. He is simply the best in the business, in my opinion, when it comes to predictive NFL analytics, visualized data. If you're not checking out what he's got at sharpfootballanalysis.com or sharpfootballstats.com, you're doing it wrong. He's going more and more mainstream. Hopefully not so mainstream they don't come on with us anymore. We don't want him mm-hmm. to get that high profile. We don't want him to be uh, you know, winning Oscars or Emmys or Grammys or whatever you do when you're a big TV star like Warren's going to be. But for right now, we love having him on. And I wanted to, to bring him on, you wanted to bring him on, Evan, uh, really to kind of dissect a lot of what happened last year. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor and and let you guys go after it. Yeah, well, mainly what we're going for here is just lessons learned or takeaways from the 2018 season. Every season is a little bit different. I think that there are even seasons within seasons. But stepping away, you know, we're, what, like a week removed or whatever, or a couple weeks removed now from the Super Bowl. I wanted to bring Warren on because I think he's really good at zooming out and, you know, being able to look back and, you know, what were our biggest takeaways from the season in its entirety. So I'm just going to kick it right to you, Warren. What do you think, man? What 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 were what was a big takeaway that you had from the 2000 NFL season regular season playoffs? 
Well, there were a number of them, and I know we're going to go through a bunch, so I don't know if this is like the most monumental, but this one certainly has a little bit more fantasy-related uh, information to it. So let's start with the tight ends from last season. And I know you and I, Evan, were talking about this, that the, the top end of the tight end spectrum, like the, the most valuable tight ends this past season, were every week moneymakers almost. They, they were very productive and very consistent. But after the first few guys – it was a big drop-off. You know, teams were getting limited, uh, consistent production. There were some guys had a good week, then they'd, then they'd disappear for a couple weeks. And so it was the consistency at the tight end position that I think in some ways frustrated fantasy owners unless they had one of those top-end guys. But I still always come back to how does this translate to real football? And the tight end position was just as, if not more, consistently productive last year than it had been in this last few years previous. Uh, if you look at tight end targets, they produced a 54% success rate and 7.6 yards per attempt. 54% success rate was the highest that they've produced in a number of years. It's also higher than what wide receivers targets produced, what running back targets produced. That means these are very efficient, very successful targets. And teams, in my opinion, are still not utilizing tight ends enough in their offense. I think we've, I don't want to say we've jumped to the shark, but we've gotten carried away with this uh, notion that we want to be throwing the football all the time, and the best way to throw the football is from 11 personnel. Yes, passing is more efficient than rushing. Yes, teams need to be throwing the football more, but you can't get so one-dimensional thinking that the way that we're going to throw the football is simply from 11 personnel, because 11 personnel, that's for those that don't know, it's one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Those passes are actually significantly less efficient than passing out of, for instance, 12 personnel, which has an extra tight end, one running back, two tight ends, and only two wide receivers. Passing from 12 personnel this past season averaged a 6% higher success rate and one more yard per attempt, up from 7.1 up to 8.1 yards per attempt that's pretty substantial and that's been consistent over the last several years in terms of expecting that we're going to be more productive and successful passing out of 12 personnel uh, but the rate of 11 personnel increased uh, we were at 69 percent of all passes came out of 11 personnel in 2017 that increased to 73 percent last season so offenses are getting almost less creative. They're saying, we want to pass the ball more. Let's just stick our three wide receivers out there and go with it. And, yeah, sure, if you were the Rams, that worked while you had Cooper Cup, right, and you don't have the tight ends. You always have to coach to the skill set that's on your team. But even for the Rams, and we're going to talk about other instances where they kind of blew it against the Patriots, without Cooper Cup, they were not as successful in 11 personnel. The Patriots were great defending 11, but bad versus 12. The Rams, and we said this before, heading into the Super Bowl, should have thrown more from 12 in that Super Bowl. It might have won the game had they done that. Um, so the bottom line takeaway for me is, while in the fantasy community you may not be overly ecstatic with what happened from your tight end this past season, tight ends in general, league-wide, are more successful targets than wide receivers, and offenses would be well-served to figure out other ways to get tight ends more heavily involved moving forward. Yeah, one of my big takeaways from the season was that I think that there is a growing disparity between 
the haves and the have-nots in terms of teams that are doing smart things or that are really well coached. I, I think that there's a bigger gap between um, – I think that just the gap is growing. And we, we can look at just – we can sort of see this in the tight end production. You know, you mentioned how this is this is a really efficient means of throwing the football. You know, let, let's just go down. We're, we're just going to look at the, the tight ends that scored the most fantasy points um, in standard leagues this past year. Number one, Travis Kelsey, who's his coach, Andy Reid. You know, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL by far, maybe the premier offensive mind. Number two, George Kill, who's his coach, Kyle Shanahan. Number three, Zach Ertz, Doug Peterson. Number four, Eric Ebron, Frank Reich, who I think is, you know might be the next great coach in the NFL. Number five, Jared Cook. You know we could criticize John Gruden's roster management. I think that his offense wasn't bad by any means um, relative to the talent that they had in his first season. He's a good offensive coach. Number six, Trey Burton. You know Matt Nagy. So. Um, you know, I think that there is a little bit of a correlation there between the the teams that are smartly run, the the, the offenses that are smartly run, and uh, the the tight ends being uh, heavily involved or, or or being you know productive, because those coaches, those teams realize that there might be an 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 edge in terms of efficiency to getting the ball to those players. Now, um, you know. I think we can sort of debate like whether the the rest of the tight ends, as you go down the list, Austin Hooper, um, Kyle Rudolph, um, you know Vance McDonald, um, you know Jimmy Graham in, in the twilight of his career. We we could really we could use an influx of explosive talent at the tight end position. Ross, I wanted to kick this one to you because I know you do the draft podcast with Fran Duffy. Are we going to be getting? some explosive tight ends in this year's draft. We are going to be getting back a healthier Evan Ingram this year. We're going to get David Njoku, who came out of college pretty raw. He's going to be entering his third season. Um, But are we going to be getting any big-time tight ends in this year's draft that you know? It's supposed to be, actually, it's funny that you bring that up. It's supposed to be a historic year in terms of tight ends. There are some people that think, that there will be three or four tight ends that go in the first round of the draft, which is pretty rare. Uh, there's some thought that TJ Hawkinson from Iowa will go in the top ten picks. Iowa actually has two underclassmen tight ends, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, that are the top two ranked tight ends by Dane Brugler, who joined the College Draft Podcast today. I expect both of those guys to go in the first round Noah Fant runs a 4-5 so he's probably the most explosive stretch the field guy that we're looking at but there were an inordinate amount of underclassmen tight ends that turned pro early like all of them Irv Smith from Alabama Caden Smith from Stanford Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M Isaac Nauta from Georgia so there are going to be a lot of tight ends that go early and often. Uh, And I quote from Dane Brugler in his column for The Athletic, the record for tight ends drafted in the top 100 picks is nine. That was back in 2006. 
I don't remember what year. Was that the Kellen Winslow year? I, I don't remember what year that was. I think it was the Kellen Winslow year. The record for tight ends drafted in the top 100 picks is nine, and he thinks this year's group has the potential to challenge that. By the way, Noah Fant is expected to vertical 40 inches or more at the combine as well. So, yes, there is going to be an influx of really talented, athletic, explosive tight ends. And the one point I want to make, by the way, just in terms of lessons learned for fantasy, I don't know if you're going to team me up on this or not, Evan. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to continue to really look hard at offensive line play and put a lot of faith and stock in offensive line play. You know, you look at the L.A. Rams, and not only Gurley, but when Gurley was out, you see what C.J. Anderson was able to do. The Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, even when Le'Veon Bell didn't play, James Conner was really productive behind that offensive line. Uh, even the Colts, you know, when they got it together, their young running backs, Hines and and, and those guys, they were able to be productive. So I would say, and I know we do it every year, Evan, when we do our uh, tiers of Evan, we do the offensive line rankings. Now, I didn't have the Colts ranked that high. I didn't know they were going to turn it around and be that good. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is, you know, there's there's a lot of value, even, even the Saints, no matter who was playing running back for them. It almost feels like, uh, I don't know what the lesson there is, other than lean on offensive linemen. And even if you need to make a pickup during the year, Take the backup for a team that has a good old line because even if that running back gets hurt or the guy gets hurt, the backup's probably going to be surprisingly productive if the team has a good offensive line. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, another example was the Dallas Cowboys, who we pinpointed as a team that might, might take a step back in terms of their offensive line play, and they did. And, you know, they wound up, Given up, uh, I think the the second most sacks in the NFL, they did do a good uh, job of adjusting and getting the ball to Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game more. So he stayed, you know, very very productive from a fantasy standpoint. But their passing offense at times was really torpedoed by their offensive line play because they couldn't pass protect as well. And um, I think that we should probably lower expectations, even with Travis Frederick coming back. We should, we should have lower expectations for their offensive line going forward. Speaking of um, using Zeke Elliott in the passing game more, you know, that's something that, that Warren has beaten the, was beating the drum for in his book last year. You know, he, he beat the drum for just using running backs in the passing game on early downs more. And I think that th- this tight end situation might be the – and teams kind of teams kind of started to do that. This year, throwing the ball to running backs in the passing game more on early downs, I think that the more use of tight ends, more use of 12 personnel, more just targets, you know, not not all these games where, the, you know, O.J. Howard is getting four targets anymore. Like this guy needs to start getting seven to eight targets a game. I think that that can be, you know, the one of the biggest um, uh, like uh, – opportunities for teams to become more efficient using tight ends more in the passing game. Um, so what, I mean, what, what do you think about that idea, Warren, that, that there might be a bigger disparity, that there is a growing disparity between the teams that are, are 
you know, well-coached and kind of more forward-thinking and teams that are, are not as forward-thinking. I mean, we just we saw a lot of talent that did not go to optimal use this past year, you know, guys like David Johnson foremost among them. Yeah, I think that there is uh, a, a disparity between the haves and the have-nots from the coaching perspective. We always talk about player and on-field talent, but the more research that I put in, the more I have a stronger appreciation for coaching and how much coaching plays a role in wins and losses, especially in the sport of football. I think it's actually more vital in the sport of football than it is in most. And to come up with both a, a game plan heading into the game and making in-game adjustments quickly, like there is a massive divide in coaching. And the importance of coaching is extremely high in terms of your ability to win a particular game um and you know i can use it from like just a case study myself that the teams that are the smarter teams the teams that are going to the playoffs in some cases with regularity those are the teams that have an appreciation for how hard it is to get to the playoffs and want to understand how they can reach the super bowl some of those teams are the teams that are reaching out to me and the teams that are in the middle of the pack and the bottom of the pack that are uh, floundering, those are the teams that I don't hear from. And they're the teams that like, are more so inclined to just save their jobs. But the reality is they would be the teams that would be most benefited by trying to optimize the ways they coach and the ways they call plays and things of that nature. So that's interesting from that perspective. Um, but I definitely believe that there is a massive importance on – coaching and we're going to continue to see as the, the teams that are willing to incorporate more analytically based decision making into the philosophy of their organization at multiple levels ultimately are going to be the teams that are going to pull towards the front of the pack um, you don't have to decide everything by a computer bot telling you what to do and that's from drafting players to free agency to uh, game planning to in-game decision making but you need to understand what the options are and you need to have an appreciation for what has worked in the past what is successful what is not and then make educated decisions based on having that information available as opposed to being in the dark and i love the fact that ross and other people in the media are are moving towards this direction like where we're getting coaches that are going to be criticized why didn't you go for it on fourth down here? As opposed to in the past, coaches will get criticized for going for it on fourth down. Why didn't you just punt it? Why are you taking this risk? Now mm-hmm. more coaches are going for it on fourth down, and those coaches that are not are going to be looked at as uh, being outside like the, the, the proper Venn diagram and the ones that are going to be uh, scrutinized more difficultly in the media. And so I think we are trending mm-hmm. in the right direction from that perspective. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. This past year, there were um, Rich Rebar of Roto World noted, noted this uh, recently on the on the Roto World podcast. And um, this past year, you know, not not the same topic as fourth downs, but teams went for two point conversions 127 times, easily the most in NFL history last year. But it was almost a, a, a double last year when when there were only 78 attempts. Uh, for two-point conversions. Um, so I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. Um, what do you think about the running back position, Warren, and you know the value, the real-life value of the running back position 
it's kind of difficult, I think, for a lot of people that pay attention to fantasy because, number one, running back to me is like the, the, most, the most fun position to watch on the football field. You know, um, they break tackles, they run through traffic, you know, seeing them just like the way that they, the, the best ones especially, the way that they kind of use their God-given gifts to like just get out of trouble. You know, or like even when they're pass blocking, I, I think that they're it's the most impressive position to watch on the football field. Um, it's also they're, they're, it's also the most valuable position in fantasy football. I mean, having one of these big time bell cows that is getting 20 touches or 20 carries and seven targets per game. You know, that's what catapults you to fantasy football championships. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I'm not sure that the value is there in. Uh, real life. Uh, what do you think about that, Warren? And how would you how would you apply that to someone like Saquon Barkley, especially because he's such a prolific runner and he is an even more prolific pass catcher? You know, so does he kind of like circumvent the the idea that running backs matter less? I mean, what just how do you how do you put all that together? Uh, well, that's a that's a great uh, topic to hit on because it certainly is valuable. Certainly going to be discussed a lot this off season with with running backs. I will say this, you know, from a real life football perspective, um, running backs they are devalued. I don't care what any GM will tell you. When you look at the bigger picture issue, which is what Ross hit on earlier, offensive line play. If you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously they had to incorporate James Conner as opposed to Le'Veon Bell last season. James Conner averaged four point. Well, the the rushing offense as a whole. Let's just forget about like what he did individually, because that depends on like his carries in production. But did the rushing offense of the Steelers have success without Le'Veon Bell in there? And the answer absolutely is yes. They had the exact same success rate as they did in 2017, 48 percent success. They averaged 4.4 yards per carry. They averaged only 4.0 yards per carry in 2017, and their first down rate, percentage of runs that gain a first down was the same. It was actually a little bit better, 24% as opposed to 23%. We saw, for instance, in Kansas City, Damian Williams coming in uh, and replacing Kareem Hunt. And that rushing offense still was extremely productive, even into the playoffs, uh, where Damian Williams against the Colts, who had a good run defense that was their strength, he averaged 5.2 yards per carry and 129 rushing yards. Um, so then you look at a lot of the other teams. We talked about this on the phone uh, the other day, Evan, uh, the Broncos, with Philip Lindsay, an undrafted uh, player who comes in and dominates on the ground, takes the carries, the lion's share of carries from you know other guys that they drafted much higher than him. You look at what C.J. Anderson did, a guy up the streets coming in and taking over for Todd Gurley, and that run game and, and still being productive even into the playoffs. So you know this is a um, a phenomenon that is obviously spreading out, and we're seeing that if you have a good offensive line and if you have a decent pass game and well-designed play calls, intelligently designed play calls where you're running in the right situations to run and you're passing when you should be passing, then you're going to have success almost regardless of who that running back is. You, you, you may not have the burst as some of the most explosive, highest-paid running backs, but in other cases you may be able to work around that and may not need that, and you can save yourself a significant chunk of money. If we're talking about Saquon Barkley in particular, yes, from a fantasy football perspective, the value of getting touches and usage is, I mean, it's hard to match, right? Like you cannot, 
replace that type of value. So for a guy like him, I mean, he's going to be used more and more as the, as the, the years go on. Um, his rookie season, he obviously was used a ton. I could foresee his usage increasing. Um, and it's about inte- using him in intelligent uh, spot to use him. And I, I think hopefully Pat Shermer will grow that, increase that, and, and make up smarter decisions about how they're utilizing him. But the receiving game usage that he gets is obviously massive. I'll, I'll digress to one other small topic that still relates to running back usage, and it's one thing that you have to study out there, and that's how much teams are actually running the football down near the goal line, inside the five-yard line. And I'll take the New England Patriots as a really quick case study. In 2016, the Patriots ran the ball 67% of the time when they were inside the five-yard line. Those runs had a 54% success rate, and they scored 17 rushing touchdowns. Last year, one of the things that I noticed is they dialed those back. Rob Gronkowski was a little bit healthier, and they were throwing the ball a lot more down inside the red zone. They, only, they actually went 55% pass, 55% pass after going 67% run. Runs were still very successful, but they were throwing the ball more. They had a lot more passing touchdowns. Skip to last season. They drafted Sony Michelle in the, you know, high up in the draft. They went back to being 67% run. Runs had a 66% success rate, and they scored 19 rushing touchdowns and only six passing touchdowns inside the five-yard line. So the New England Patriots were a team that uh, intelligently looked at what they were doing, realized we can be more efficient if we run the ball more closer to the end zone, and went back to that. And so for teams that actually run the ball a lot down there that are actually productive teams, teams that tend to win games and are going to be good teams, those running backs were going to be very valuable as well. So figuring out, and, and like the Patriots, they went from pass to run. It may not be so easy to like anticipate what a team's going to do, but if you can lock in and get that efficiency, uh, because running backs are used all over the field, but it's vital to get those running backs that are utilized frequently inside that five-yard line because a lot of plays, drives, end up getting down there that are going to score touchdowns. They get down inside the five, and then it's about scoring those touchdowns, and, and running backs who get a lot of carries down there are extremely valuable. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to note, and this is more on a fantasy uh, from the, a fantasy perspective, but maybe you have some thoughts on this, Warren. Um, is the uh, the the advantage that we can gain uh, in in fantasy in fantasy specifically, and I think that there are are some advantages to be gained in, in real life, but just from quarterbacks that can run. Um, you know, Josh Allen looked competent on the field late in the season, was still highly inconsistent as a, as a passer, but was a monster fantasy asset late in the season. Like, if you were not playing him in daily fantasy, you were losing late in the year, um, especially in that Week 17 game when he accounted for five touchdowns. But, you know, he, he brought a, a sense of competence to that offense surrounded by guys like uh, undrafted rookie Robert Foster and, you know, Isaiah McKenzie, who wasn't even a big-time offensive player um, in college, had been cut by the Broncos. And, you know, he was out here having five, six, seven catch games. And, um, you know, Zay Jones had some big games uh, at, at the end of the year. Um, Dak Prescott, you know, still a pretty inconsistent passer. You know, you, you go listen to uh, Greg Cosell's breakdown on Ross's, on Ross's um, uh, teaching tutorial show uh, from the Cowboys' last game against the Rams, you know, the, the, it sounds like the Cowboys' coaching staff really 
doesn't even trust him still as a passer after what three seasons in the NFL. Um, but he wound up being a, a major fantasy asset. This season had a bunch of big games, especially after they acquired Amari Cooper. Uh, but he wound up finishing top 12 in fantasy points. And, you know, this was a guy that nobody even wanted to draft throughout draft season. Uh, Blake Bortles got benched, but we saw that even before he got benched, he had some big games. Like you could play him in daily fantasy and you know, no one would ever want to play him. Uh, and, and he would produce big games because he could run the football. Mitchell Trubisky had some absolutely monster games, uh, both as a passer and as a runner. But I think that his main asset is still uh, running the football. Um, I think that, that you know he's a better runner at this stage than he is as a passer. Uh, but he had like more uh, top five fantasy finishes than Tom Brady did this year, even as he missed a couple of games and you know obviously is isn't where he needs to be as a passer. But that and, and of course like Deshaun Watson and you know the list kind of goes on. But I, I think that those are are quarterbacks that we can get late in fantasy drafts, certainly in best ball drafts because they have that spiked week potential. Um, but what what are your general thoughts, maybe Warren, on 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 quarterbacks that can run? Do you think that that is an undervalued asset? Do you think that it might be um, overrated, or or do you think that it uh, do you think that it's you know is it is it too risky for these guys to run because they might get hurt? Well, I think that they are underrated. Um, the, the NFL itself certainly views these guys as underrated. If you look at like the top cap hit players, the top uh, salary quarterbacks, none of these guys are the running type quarterbacks. You're looking at like the Drew Brees, Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Flacco, Aaron Rodgers types that are up at the top of the end of the spectrum in terms of cap hit for 2019. Uh, contract value as well. Those, those players just don't get the high contract. But from a fantasy perspective, those yards clearly are very difficult to replicate because they are they, they don't come from anything but a play. Generally speaking, a play breaking down. There's not a whole lot of like pure design quarterback runs now. But for teams that are able to have a quarterback that can make plays outside the framework of an offense and make something happen when the play breaks down, it's extremely valuable from the team's perspective as well as that player's fantasy uh, production perspective. There are guys like Russell Wilson who stopped running the ball quite as often but are still able to get to outside of the pocket and make plays happen down the field. That's when the defense starts overcompensating for the fact that their job is to contain him in the pocket. He now breaks free some of those defenders are going to have to make adjustments, whether it's with their eyes or their bodies, to account for the fact that he's not where they intend for him to be. And all of a sudden, something down the field, whether it's a running lane or it's a passing window, will open up and allow for productivity uh, from that quarterback that was not previously envisioned to be able to occur on that play. And a lot of times the upside on those plays is substantial. Um, so I think drafting uh, quarterbacks with that rushing upside, especially if you can somewhat count on it. Like Josh Allen obviously wasn't doing it quite as much, but he started doing it much more often. And, and I think we could probably assume that he's got a big body. He can take some of those hits. He is also needs to be, all, all quarterbacks that get out of the pocket, need to be intelligent about preserving their bodies and not taking unnecessary contact. But 
these players are going to be productive from a fantasy position uh, if, if we can bank on them having a certain amount of rushing attempts. Um, on the flip side of that, I will state real quickly that the quarterbacks that signed the big lucrative deals this offseason, there were three quarterbacks that signed big lucrative deals, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, all these guys signed deals that are in excess of $28 million average per year. Um, and, you know, th- this past offseason, so after the 2017 season, head- heading into the 2018 season, all three of those teams, the Green Bay Packers, the Atlanta Falcons, the Minnesota Vikings, were favorites to make the playoffs. All three were projected to be inside the top nine teams in the NFL in terms of total wins. Minnesota and Green Bay both inside the top six. None of those teams made the playoffs. The point being that it still is important to maximize your quarterback production based upon the cap hits that they allocate because it is difficult to build rosters in the NFL. And when you're pouring a lot of money into the quarterback position and these guys aren't like slam dunk having like, you know, record-breaking seasons almost, then it's difficult to get the value elsewhere on the roster that you're going to need because you allocated so much money to those positions. Um, and there, none of those guys are obviously a rushing quarterback. But the other bad part for those teams, if you're a fan of the Packers or the Falcons or the Vikings, is that all these quarterbacks' cap hits are doing nothing but increasing. You know, 2019's cap hit and 2020's cap hit especially are going to be in excess of $30 million. They're all increasing from what they were last year. So it's going to be difficult for these teams to figure out how to build their rosters when they're allocating so much money to the quarterback position. The only real way that they're going to be able to do that is for them to have great seasons from their quarterback. We did see Drew Brees produce a great season passing the football last year and help bring his team deeper into the playoffs, and obviously they had a chance to go to the Super Bowl, but for that ridiculous uh, non-pass interference call. So quarterback position, very key. Going back to your original point, running the football is still a big benefit to fantasy football and uh, uh, you know, evaluating and drafting players that have that upside if you can quantify it better than your competition and account for it based on what your projected grades are and scores are for that player in a fantasy perspective, is definitely going to give you a leg up. No doubt. No doubt. Um, I've kind of dominated this, this conversation so far, Warren. Were, are there any uh, takeaways that, that, you, uh, that you specifically had from, from this past season uh, that, that you wanted to uh, discuss on the show? Yeah, I, I won't bang out any of these like in detail. I'll just throw a few out mm-hmm. uh, in the next couple yeah. of minutes. Um, one of which is even great teams need to game plan for their opponents, especially offensively. We saw this happen in the Super Bowl where the Rams did not specifically change their offense to attack the weaknesses of the Patriots' defense. They kept doing what they do all se- what they did all season, and that is a massive problem. Even if you're a great coach with a great offense, you always need to be looking and game planning to figure out weaknesses of your opponent. Uh, a number of other things. Number one, I thought that coaches were still extremely stupid with how they manage late game situations. Onside kick rules changed. You know, the kickoff rules changed, made it much more difficult to recover onside kicks. Coaches were still just as stupid late in games, not understanding that we have a less likelihood of recovering this onside kick. You have to be much more aggressive if you're trailing late in games to account for that, because you're probably not going to recover an onside kick. Uh, another thing, even though quarterbacks throughout the league are getting much more accurate with their passing and players, wide receivers, defensive players are getting faster, stronger, more athletic, more agile, field goal kickers are still terrible. Mentally, they're fragile. 
And we need to figure out like a way to help these kickers dominate their mentality and, and their psyche as they're approaching these kicks so they can hit them with a higher percentage. There's been too many games that were lost by kickers just botching things, and it's very frustrating for the rest of the team. If I'm a front office and, and looking at things, I'm doing everything within my ability outside the normal framework to figure out how I'm going to get my kickers physically and mentally prepared to take kicks and, ha- and hit at a higher rate. Um, another thing was uh, strength of schedule. I think strength of schedule is still very important, and it was definitely key in helping me identify great value points along the way of the season. Um, you, lo- you look at the playoffs, right? Houston Texans, they look so good, and, and they won games but they played some horrible quarterbacks, like quarterbacks you couldn't even imagine in route to getting to the postseason. And they were a great team to bet against in the playoffs. Obviously, they lost pretty dominant fashion to the Colts. But you can also look at, you know, what did we project? We projected this team to have one of the easiest schedules in the, literally the number one easiest in your Roto World article. We wrote that this team has the number one easiest schedule entering the season, um, and therefore, you know, those are things to factor, not just before the season, you know, the hey, this team might get to the playoffs, this team might have a winning record because they play the easiest schedule, but also in hindsight, now that they're there, now that they're winning these games, they're probably going to be overvalued. Uh, and last but not least, you can still run the ball. Teams in the NFL, you know, a lot of teams turn to the run, like the Seattle Seahawks, like the Baltimore Ravens, like the Tennessee Titans, who were doing it for a while. Teams that were turning towards the run game to, in, in a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. Some were to help their quarterbacks. Some were like new coaches that just wanted to establish the run a little bit more. And these teams had some success and in two cases made the playoffs. In all three cases, they produced winning records. But just because those teams had some success running the football does not mean that they would not have had equal to, if not more, success if they had actually thrown the football a little bit more often. It does not mean that their upside in terms of winning more games and being more productive would not have been better. And oftentimes what happens is these coaches get so attracted to the run that they don't know when they need to really switch towards the pass. And we saw it happen too often, like in Seattle, cost them a playoff game. They kept trying to run the ball so much against the Dallas Cowboys, they needed to switch to the pass and Russell Wilson earlier in that game. They failed to do that, lost the game. Teams that are good running the ball, I'm happy for you. I applaud you that you're good at running the football but you still need to be passing the football when the situation dictates it and you can't get so reliant upon the run game that then you get worried, oh, my God, now we have to actually pass the ball, and it becomes like a, uh, a negative mentality on your roster that you're thinking, oh, my God, now we got to pass the ball. These guys need to be more confident with their ability to throw the football. This is still a pass-first league. Even though defenses had a little bit of say in the postseason, this is still an offensive-first league. Passing is the way to win games in the NFL. I still see that continuing into the future, and teams need to figure out ways to maximize the upside of their passing game and tying it all the way back to the first point. That might include incorporating more tight ends, might include throwing the football more from 12 personnel, doing something that a lot of other teams are are not doing. We saw that have a lot of success in the NFL in terms of running a lot of 21 personnel like the Patriots did or being extremely balanced from personnel groupings like the Saints did. A lot of different teams, if you do something different and you do it well, defenses aren't going to be able to adjust for that quite as easily and game plan against you on a given week. And it's all about creating edges for your offense. Excellent work, Evan, as always. I love it. This is exactly what I was looking for two weeks in a row. We killed it. You killed it. Breaking it down. 
And so now we won't make those same mistakes, or at least we know more. We have more knowledge, which, as you always say, is the goal of this thing moving forward. And then you take that knowledge and you go to betonline.ag, where you use the promo code PODCAST1 to get a 50% sign-up bonus. Pretty awesome when you use the code PODCAST1 over at betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag. I, I mentioned this on some of the other podcasts. It's kind of fun to bet on the AAF. You know, now that you've seen the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, and you've seen some of the quarterbacks, good time now to play some wagers before the games this upcoming weekend. We'll actually be talking about the AAF and AAF betting with Steve Fezzik and Dave Mason from BetOnline.ag on today's Even Money podcast. So make sure you check out that one as well. Again, betonline.ag, use that promo code podcast one. Other than that, totally stuffed. That was amazing. Loved it. And love that we still have another podcast to go today. Still need to record the Even Money podcast. Other than that, though, I'm stuffed. We're done. It's over. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found. Angie's List is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie still has the same top pros and reviews you've counted on for more than 20 years, only now you'll also get access to all the tools you need to make your home a happy place. Inside, outside, big or small, Angie helps you find the right solution for whatever you need done, all from your phone. It's simple to find upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. You can even search pricing guides to see what others paid for similar jobs and easily compare quotes from top local pros to make sure you're getting a fair price. From lawn care to repairing the AC to the project of your dreams, Angie has your home projects handled from start to finish. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, they'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with their happiness guarantee. Make your home an Angie home. Check out Angie.com today. And for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee dot HTM.